Hi, I'm John Trader, Vice President of Communications with Right Patient, the healthcare industry's most advanced, flexible, and scalable biometric patient safety and patient data integrity system. Our mission through these podcasts is to help educate, inform, and inspire through conversations with leading professionals for information, analysis, and opinions on the topics related to patient identification in healthcare. I'm pleased to welcome Eva Velasquez, President and CEO of the Identity Theft Resource Center, to our podcast today to talk about the dangers of identity theft and, more specifically, medical identity theft and its impact on patients and providers. As I mentioned, Eva is the President and CEO of the Identity Theft Resource Center, which is a nonprofit organization that serves victims of identity theft. Eva previously served as the Vice President of Operations for the San Diego Better Business Bureau and spent 21 years at the San Diego District Attorney's Office. Eva has a passion for consumer protection, and she strives to educate the public about identity theft, privacy, scams and fraud, and other related issues. She served as the chairwoman of the Consumer Fraud Task Force for 13 years, is a past vice president of the California Consumer Affairs Association, and most recently was a finalist in the 2012 San Diego Business Journal's Women Who Mean Business Awards. Congratulations. Eva is recognized as a nationwide expert on identity theft and has recently been featured on The Ricky Lake Show, CNBC Nightly Business Report, and Huffington Post Live. She has also been quoted in Moore and Real Simple Magazines, New York Times, NBCNews.com, Today.com, The Washington Examiner, and numerous other outlets. Eva has more than 500 hours of specialized training in the investigation of economic crimes and has been a presenter at numerous conferences across the country, including the PACT, which stands for Professionals Achieving Consumer Trust Summit, the ABA, American Bar Association, the California District Attorney's Association Consumer Protection Conference, and the California Consumer Affairs Association Annual Conference. Now, the Identity Theft Resource Center is a nonprofit organization to support victims of identity theft in resolving their cases and to broaden public education and awareness in the understanding of identity theft, data breaches, cybersecurity, scams, fraud, and privacy issues. The Identity Theft Resource Center meets their mission by, number one, providing no-cost victim assistance to the public throughout the United States, number two, educating all stakeholders on best practices for fraud and identity theft detection, reduction, and mitigation, and number three, serving as a national resource regarding consumer-related issues related to identity theft, data breaches, cybersecurity, scams, fraud, and privacy issues. You can find the Identity Theft Resource Center on Facebook by typing the acronym ITRCSD in the Facebook search field. That's ITRCSD. And you can also find them on Twitter at ITRCSD. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you very much for your time today, Eva. Well, thank you, John, and I appreciate that you're covering this important topic. It's very confusing to consumers, so I'm sure we're going to give them a lot of great information. Yes, thank you. Let's start our discussion with an overview of the Identity Theft Resources Center's mission and goals. Eva, can you provide us with an overview of what the Identity Theft Resource Center does and how you help educate consumers on the serious problem of identity theft? I also understand that you have a toll-free number that anyone can call to receive free assistance from an identity theft information specialist. That's correct, John. And you've already read off our mission to your listeners, so they understand that. But one of the ways that we meet that mission is through the toll-free call center. It is staffed by knowledgeable advisors. 
So when someone calls with an identity theft or scam or privacy-related issue, they actually get one-on-one -on -one free assistance from people who really there isn't anything that they, they haven't heard. I think the best way to convey that is through a, a story because with the victims that call us, it's not just about victims who know they are victims of identity theft. It's about people who are having an experience and they often don't know how to quantify it. They will call us and tell us what's going on and then we let them know, actually, no, you're not a victim of identity theft. That's, that's a data breach issue and yes, your information has been compromised, but it hasn't been used yet. Or sometimes it's, I wasn't able to fill my prescriptions and I don't know why. Here's what the hospital told me. So not only do we use that opportunity to help actual victims remediate their case, we can then educate them on ways to minimize their risk for future events and also just educate them on kind of the landscape of what's going on out there with your identity and authentication. Thank you for the overview, Eva. I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I have to say that I, I suppose I'm a typical consumer insofar as that I'm naive. So I, I don't know a lot about the dangers of identity theft. And I think like most people, I feel like it's never going to happen to me. However, when you look at the statistics, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but from what I understand, approximately 15 million U.S. residents have their identities used fraudulently each year with financial losses totaling somewhere near $50 billion. I, I think it kind of puts it in, into perspective, and you begin to understand that really anybody can be a victim, and this problem might be a, a lot bigger than some people may think. So, Eva, my question is, why should consumers be concerned about the dangers of identity theft, and what is the potential impact if they are victimized? There are so many potential impacts that can occur for a victim, and usually what happens is someone is trying to move forward in their life in some manner. Perhaps they're applying for a home loan, or maybe it's a student financial loan. Maybe they're trying to get a cell phone. Sometimes they're just trying to file their taxes. So there are all of these ways that we engage in the world and are, and are trying to move forward in our lives. And identity theft will put up this big, huge roadblock and stop you from doing that. So it can have financial implications. It can stop you from moving forward. And that's really the impact that we don't talk about is sort of that lost opportunity. If you are not able to get your dream job because you don't pass a background check, due to behavior from an identity thief. Perhaps they got arrested in another state, there's a warrant issued, so now you have this criminal history that isn't even yours. You can go through the process to clean that up, and that's what we're here for, is to help walk you through that. But then there's that lost opportunity. You didn't get the job. Most employers aren't going to wait for you to clean up the issue. They're simply going to move on to the next candidate. And that's something that we don't capture. So that's one of the impacts that we don't really think about. And the other piece is, particularly with the different types of identity theft, financial is one thing. And, of course, it is an impact to you to, to have your finances ruined or at least ruined for a period of time. But there's an emotional impact that goes along with this. And we have studied this emotional impact for many years. There's really a, an erosion of trust. When the, when the basic mechanisms that are put in place to protect you fail, you really start to feel like, who can I trust? What can I do? And victims have a tendency to not want to engage in the world as we know it. They, they will uh, not engage online. They won't engage on social media. Perhaps they don't even want to use a bank. They want to start to, you know, stuff their money under their mattress. And it, and it really creates not only an inconvenience, but just a difference in the way they view the world that 
it will last for a long time. Thank you. Appreciate the information on that. Turning to the topic of medical identity theft, the most recent statistics available via the Ponemon Institute estimate that 2.3 million Americans or close family members had their identities stolen during or before 2014. My question, Eva, is why is medical identity theft a serious problem? What are some of its implications and what steps can patients take to protect their medical identities? Medical identity theft has a tendency to be more serious than other types of identity theft simply because you're dealing with your health. And it can not only impact your ability to get or receive medical care, it can impact the care that you are receiving. So I'll give you some examples. And these are real cases that we have had to help folks remediate. Sometimes people can have a thief's medical information intermingled in their medical records. So what are the implications of that? Well, if your thief has a condition that you don't have, that can lead doctors to make decisions about your medical care that are just flat out wrong. It can also have issues with getting prescriptions filled. We've talked to several folks that because a thief went and got prescriptions filled in their name, they were unable to get their prescriptions from the pharmacy that they needed to manage a current health condition that they had. So whether it's a, an acute condition or long-term, even if it takes you three, five, seven days, and that's on the that's on the good side, that's if you're really on it and get help right away, that's still a time period that you're not treating a condition. And, and again, there are there can be long-term consequences to that. It's more than an inconvenience. So those are the, the implication. And as far as the steps that patients can take, you know, this is really a shared responsibility. So healthcare providers have a responsibility to ensure that they're authenticating their patients at the outset and that they have some mechanism in place to do so. But individual patients, consumers, they can also take some steps. And, and really it's about notification and finding out if something's going on early. The best way to do that is to review those those EOBs, those explanation of benefit statements. Now, I know they read like a phone book, and when people look at them, they go, I can't even figure out what these codes are. And we're not saying that you have to get that granular. But if you receive an EOB in the mail, go ahead and read it. Don't just look at the top where it says this is not a bill and say, great, I don't owe any money. I'm just going to put that aside. At least look at the dates of service, the service provider, and ensure that, that, yes, actually I or a family member did have an appointment on April 28th, and we did go see the doctor. And if you see anything on there that is suspicious, where it's perhaps you're looking at a date and a medical provider that you've never heard of and you did not, you or a family member did not receive services, really important to follow up on that immediately. You know, sometimes it's a clerical error, but sometimes that can be a big red flag with medical identity theft. And the same thing is true whenever you have issues with not being able to receive prescriptions from the pharmacy, follow up on that. And the, the last one that's a little bit more nuanced, and it can be a red flag but is not necessarily, and that is if you start receiving advertisements and solicitations for the care of a condition that you don't have. So, for instance, maybe you start getting a lot of flyers in the mail or emails for how to control diabetes and for tools in order to test for it. So now all of a sudden I'm getting advertisements for insulin pumps and diabetic strips and all of these things, but you don't have that diagnosis. 
that would be something to follow up on and, and ask for your medical records and make sure that it hasn't made it in there. Now, it can simply be that you got on a mailing list somewhere by accident. That's certainly the case. It can be that there was some kind of clerical error within your medical records, which you absolutely want to resolve, and it could also be an issue of medical identity theft where someone actually has been using your identity and they do have that condition and now it's in your records. Thank you. That's fascinating and very intuitive. I know myself I don't read my explanation of benefits after a doctor's visit. So You are not the only one. That is a very familiar refrain. <laughs> that's a great, great thing to point out because I know, as you pointed out earlier, a lot of people look at those explanation of benefits and say to themselves, how in the world can I make sense of this information, let alone try to figure out if it was um, services that were rendered to me that were actually um, due to my condition. So that's that's a really important reminder. But my gosh, the ability to put two and two together when your example of getting flyers in the mail or perhaps direct mailers or emails about how to treat a condition like diabetes when you don't have it, that's excellent insight on how to keep tabs on your own medical identity and the ability to identify certain things that are that are happening in your life that could lead to a possible case of medical identity theft. That's really insightful. Th- thank you very much. I want to talk for just a moment about child medical identity theft, which is something I think that might not be on the radar of parents or perhaps maybe guardians or grandparents who take care of children. And I would guess that that children really often aren't considered at risk to have their medical identity stolen. And we often think of medical identity theft as a problem only adults experience. Eva, how important is it to protect a child's medical identity? And is this a growing concern in the industry? You know, it is. But I think we need to back up just a little bit on that because it's not just a child's medical identity. It's their identity on the whole. And their medical identity is an aspect of that. You are absolutely right that people don't think this is a crime that affects children, but I can tell you that we handle and remediate cases of child identity theft on a regular basis, on a daily basis. So it's really about ensuring that that information doesn't make it into the hands of a thief. That's very hard for any of us to do. The the real crux of the problem with child medical identity theft and child identity theft on the whole is the time of discovery. Because as I said before, when one of the ways, the most common way that people find out they're victims of identity theft is because they are trying to accomplish something and they get that barrier put up. And if you think about it, children just don't engage in the outside world the same way adults do. Children aren't out applying for credit. They aren't till they're 16. They're not trying to get a driver's license or go through background checks. So all of those things that are these external factors that pop up and make us take notice of our identity, they're not occurring for children. So that's where it becomes the parent's responsibility. And and for parents, it's really about just taking as many proactive steps as you can. And there are some states that, that have allow you to freeze your child's credit. And certainly you can always request your child's medical records to go through them and make sure that they are as they are supposed to be. And as a parent, read, read those explanations of benefits when you get them from, you know, that pediatric visit. Thank you. That's very interesting information. Eva, what, what is the earliest age a child can have their medical identity stolen? You know, I hate to say this because it almost sounds like fear-mongering, but it's absolutely true. It can actually be before they're born. 
Oh my gosh. If you have, if you have the unfortunate experience, and I do know of someone, it, it, she's actually very respected in this field and it happened to her child. If you have someone that decides to just make up a social security number that hasn't been issued yet and start to use it, it doesn't necessarily make it back to the Social Security Administration office. So your child is born, you go to get a Social Security number issued to them, and you get it, but someone has already been using it. So it can actually happen before they're born. Wow. I I wouldn't have thought that it could be an instance where someone preconception would 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 have to be protected that's that's fascinating information thank you i'd like to uh, turn our attention just for a moment to technologies that hospitals and healthcare organizations are currently using to help patients better protect their medical identities and full disclosure our listeners already know that uh, we are a biometric patient identification company but i want to talk specifically about the fact that many healthcare organizations are now starting to adopt the use of technologies such as biometrics for patient identification to help protect medical identities and protect medical ID theft at the point of service and also at various touch points along the care continuum. Eva, why are biometric patient identification solutions playing a larger role in protecting medical identities, excuse me, in protecting patient identities? Well, there's a, there are a couple of reasons, and, and the first one is it's very hard to fake your biometrics, your fingerprint is your fingerprint. So when we were using things like tokens, like ID cards and a social security card with the number on it, you could potentially have that stolen and someone could use that in, in proving that they're you. It's not that difficult. They can pretend to be you rather easily, especially if they look even remotely like you and are in the same age bracket. Now, if you have a service provider that has done their homework, and this is a really important piece, it's the initial authentication and setup that is critical for the healthcare providers. You need to ensure that when you get the first biometric, that it is truly your patient, because if it's not, then we have medical identity theft issue. But if they've gone through the appropriate steps to ensure, yes, that really is Eva Velasquez, here are the checks and balances that we did to ensure that, and now I'm going to make sure you are really you. Well, now if someone uh, stole my wallet and wanted to go try to use my medical card, they'd have to give up scan, and it wouldn't match, so they would not be able to get those services. And that that's a really important piece. Okay, thank you. I also want to discuss the many new touch points, for example, telemedicine, home health, mHealth, where patients can access services or data, and how important it is to adopt biometric patient identification solutions that can prevent medical identity theft that have the utility for the use at these new touch points. So my question would be, how important is it for medical providers to look beyond a brick-and-mortar visit, beyond a patient approaching a registration desk in the ED or perhaps inpatient or outpatient services, considering the fact that patients now have access to their health care whether it be access to protected health information, whether it be setting up a telemedicine appointment. We're opening up these new portals for patients to access healthcare that reach above and beyond what we're normally accustomed to in receiving healthcare services, and that's walking into a hospital, walking into a doctor's office. My question is, how important is it for medical providers to look at the issue of medical identity theft in the scope of protecting patient identities at each and every point along the care continuum? Well, it's absolutely critical. 
And what the providers need to decide ahead of time, they need to, to work this thought process into their plan before they adopt these types of touch points, as you referred to them, because you, once the door's open, you can't really close it, or it's much harder to close it. And some providers will decide that they won't have these services available, and many of them, the smaller providers, they, they simply don't have patient portals. They don't have an electronic means to send you your lab results or to schedule appointments, and that's fine. That's a decision that they have made, and it alleviates the issue of those being breached in some manner. But for the larger providers and for folks that want to provide this convenience to their patients, they really need to think hard about what vulnerabilities is this creating and how do I ensure that they are as secure as possible. Now, there's no panacea. There is no 100% guarantee. Nothing is impenetrable or unbreachable. But if you have layers and you take this into account before you launch it, that will go a long way in making it at least less attractive to to hackers who really do want that information to commit not just medical identity theft, but identity theft on the whole. Thank you, Eva. Uh, More often than not, uh, discussions of medical identity theft center on the impact to the patient. However, my own experience and my own research has shown me that patient repercussions really don't tell the whole story about medical identity theft. For example, healthcare providers are just as much as victims of medical identity theft as patients are. So my question is, Eva, we're seeing this trend that hospitals are starting to take a more proactive approach to protect patient identities, and we've talked about the impact of medical identity theft to patients, but what are the dangers faced by healthcare providers? Well, I would focus on, because of the advocate in me, I'm going to focus a little bit on the people that are comprised in these institutions. So, of course, there are going to be financial liabilities and legal liabilities. If if something that they have done has led to um, a massive data breach or some kind of compromise of patient data, they will face some liabilities, and that and that could range anywhere from criminal to civil, depending on, on what the action was. But I think there's another piece to this that's really important. These are healthcare providers. These are people that want to heal people and make people better. They don't, they go into this profession with that in their mind and their soul. And I am absolutely certain that behind the institution, if there ever is some kind of breakdown, when there are data breaches, which are occurring at a regular rate, I am sure that the people behind it are suffering a personal impact to their, to their integrity, to their desire to help people and want to make the world a, a safer, better place for their patients. And I think that that has an impact, too, not just on the industry, but on the people behind it. Thank you for the insight, Eva. We talked earlier in the podcast about resources that patients can turn to if they suspect they may have been victims of identity theft. We mentioned that the Identity Theft Resource Center has a toll-free number, which is 888 for patients to call for support and guidance. Eva, if someone suspects they have been a victim of medical identity theft, what steps can they take and what resources are available to help them correct the problem? Well, first and foremost, I'm going to say the Identity Theft Resource Center, just as you mentioned our call center number. We're certainly available to folks that even if they're not sure and they're experienced something or they've had something happen and they don't know how to categorize it, that's fine. Give us a call. Ask the advisors. They'll let you know if it's something you need to worry about or not. 
And there are other regional resources. So depending on uh, where you live, there can be crime victim resources within your prosecutor's offices, within your local law enforcement agencies. There are other type of advocacy agencies. And it's really about kind of looking for what's available in your community. We, on our website, we actually have a state map where you can look and see not only what laws protect you, but some other resources in your area if you feel like you want to stay a little bit closer to home with, with who you're getting help from. But again, we're based in San Diego, California, but we provide services to victims nationwide. Is that 888 number a 24-hour number? It's not 24 hours. It is normal business hours for people on the East Coast. And Pacific time, we are open 6 a.m., to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Okay, thank you. In an effort to better understand the motivation behind stealing someone's medical identity and to better understand the value of stolen medical records, let's talk for a moment about a hot topic in healthcare, and that's data breaches. Eva, the healthcare industry has some of the largest instances of data breaches. Can you describe the marketplace for this type of data, and what do hackers do with medical information once it's stolen? This is a very interesting question and one that we have theory, a hypothesis on. And I think it's important for your listeners to understand that the Identity Theft Resource Center has been capturing information on data breaches since 2005. And we issue a list every week of all the publicly reported breaches because there was not one place where you could get that information. You had to kind of jump around and look at different reporting entities to find out the the scope of data breaches. And so we certainly agree with the fact that medical data breaches have grown substantially and that information is very valuable to thieves. But one of the key things that we need to realize is that all of the information that's included in those medical records, it's not just useful to commit medical identity theft. It is useful to commit every type of identity theft. And we have seen a tremendous, tremendous growth in government documents and benefits identity theft, specifically tax. Mm -hmm. And we feel pretty strongly, now we cannot prove this, this is our theory about where the information is going based on the numbers that we've looked at, that all of those medical records that had that very granular information about the patients, including social security numbers, can be used to file a false tax return. And it's a very lucrative crime. So the thieves don't keep little silos of where they've breached the information. Well, I got this from medical records, so I can only use it to commit medical identity theft. They are going to look at the opportunities to use it across all platforms. And right now, we believe that these medical records are being used to commit government identity theft. That's interesting. Thank you, Eva. I appreciate that. Finally, I'd like to remind our listeners about the Identity Theft Resource Center's contact information for more details on your mission, your resources, and the services that you offer. Can you let our listeners know how they can find out more information about the Identity Theft Resource Center, including your social media contact information? I know we've touched on the 888 number, but how can they find you on the web and on social media? They can find our website. It's www.idtheftcenter.com. Org. Our Facebook page is ITRCSD, and our Twitter handle is the same, 
And if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, you can find me at ITRCCEO. We also have an app that's downloadable on both the Android and iOS or Apple platform. And it's a really great tool just for people to have in their phone. It answers some basic questions and provides referrals and resources. But we feel that the most meaningful part of the app right now is that if you go ahead and download it now, and then if, you know, a week, a month, a year from now, you have an identity theft issue, you don't have to remember our name. You can just go, where, you know, in my apps, oh, there it is, ITRC, ID Theft Help app. And all of our contact information is right there at your fingertips when you need it. Great. Thank you very much. This concludes our podcast for today. We hope that you enjoyed the topic and our guest and encourage you to tune into future podcasts where we interview industry professionals on topics that relate to the healthcare industry. Thank you so much for your time today, Eva. Absolutely. Thank you again for covering this topic. It's so important for people to get this information. I learned a lot today. Thank you again. Um, For a full list of all our podcasts, please visit our podcast page at rightpatient.com backslash healthcare-biometrics-podcast. If you have an idea or a podcast topic you would like us to cover, please send an email with the topic idea and a suggested industry expert for an interview to jtrader, that's J-T-R-A-D-E-R, at rightpatient.com, that's R-I-G-H-T, patient.com, and we will schedule it on our calendar. See you on our next podcast.